Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Was, um trying to get all the information on this ruling from Judge Angeron that just came on. By the way, thanks for being here this Friday, February 16th. Um, it just literally broke seconds ago. It looks like I don't know if Donald Trump is going to be forbidden from doing business ever again in New York, because literally, I mean, I was just reading um, the actual order issued from George Engeron. And um, here is part of it. Uh, Alan Weisselberg, the guy who was head of Trump's organization, is liable for a million dollars. Don Jr., the son, is liable to the plaintiff uh, for an amount just over four million dollars. Eric Trump is liable for an amount of money that is just over four million dollars. And Donald Trump himself uh, there are several different lines here with different amounts, roughly uh, over $350 million, over $350 million liable to the plaintiff. Now, remember what this was about with Judge Engeron in New York. It had already been established that Donald Trump was guilty of fraud. His business was guilty of fraud. So the question was, what should the punishment be for that? This trial with Judge Engeron wasn't about establishing guilt or innocence. That had already been established. Donald Trump was guilty of fraud. The question was, what, the, what is the punishment going to be for that? Um, now that I look, I'm trying to also read this, continue to read this while I'm talking to you here at the final line ordered that defendants, Alan Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney are hereby permanently enjoined from serving in the financial control function of any New York corporation or any similar business registered or licensed in New York further ordered that defendants Donald Trump, Alan Weisselberg and Jeffrey McConney are hereby enjoined, prevented that means, from serving as an officer or director of any New York corporation or other legal entity in New York for a period of three years. The the court watchers felt that this was one of the most important cases to Donald Trump because his whole identity is wrapped around him being this successful New York businessman. But for the next three years, he nor his sons nor his chief financial officer can have anything to do with running a business in New York. This could have been worse. He could have been permanently enjoined, in which case he would have had to, according to some experts who were looking at this case, he might have had to liquidate his entire empire. Um, you remember when he became president and as president, you're supposed to um, 
As president, you're supposed to divest yourself of all your investments so you're not making presidential rulings that benefit yourself and or put everything in a blind trust that somebody else's manage. In other words, you have no idea uh, what's being bought and sold. You have no idea anymore what countries or companies you're involved with. You just have no idea about it till you leave office. Donald Trump. When he became president, he said, oh, I don't have to do any of that. Um, I'll just turn my company over to my sons. Yeah, right, because he's always been such great supporters of Eric and Don Jr. You know, he's called them idiots and other things. Yeah, but we were supposed to believe that he was going to just turn the the business over to them. So he wasn't going to have any involvement. He wasn't going to know what they were doing. He certainly wouldn't be telling them what to do. And nobody, nobody believed that for a second, but there was no law. You know, so much of what our presidents have done in the past, so much of their good behavior has just been what's expected of them, what the norms are. And with Donald Trump, if, hey, if there ain't a law that makes me do it, I'm not doing it. You know what? Bad on you that you didn't pass a law. So here we go. Uh, barred from doing business in New York for three years. His son's barred from doing business in New York for three years. His CFO barred from doing business in New York for three years. Eric paying four million bucks. Don Jr. paying four million bucks. Alan Weisselberg paying a million. And Donald Trump paying over $350 million. Now, you know, it should be no big deal because, you know, during the... Um, E. Jean Carroll case, E. Jean Carroll's lawyer um, shared with the jury, you know, quotes, things that Donald Trump had said, you know, about being worth uh, billions of dollars and having, interestingly, and, he, you know, making statements that he had at least $400 million in the bank. <laughs> so between the $83.3 million he has to pay E. Jean Carroll and the 350, more than 350 million dollars that he has to pay in this case, you know, he's going to have to sell some stuff if he wants that bank account to be robust again. Unless, of course, he uh, he sends out those emails and texts that he is so fond of. Oh, my God, look what they did today. Contribute, contribute as much money as you can to help me get through this. You know, it's all the deep state working against me. We'll see. The rubes that believe in him and want him to be president will no doubt pony up at least some of this cash. Will they pony up enough? How much? Well, those are very good questions now, aren't they? It is Friday. We are <laughs> starting it with a bang. And on Friday, we always take your calls. And we're going to do something interesting today. For the first half of the show, it's going to be uh, me and you talking. And for the second half of the show, we are still going to keep the phone lines open and I'm going to be joined by David Orr, Good Government Illinois. And we are going to continue, David, me, and you, to talk about the news of the day and the news of the week. Um, you, you know, there are a few local things that I want to ask David specifically about, but we're going to keep it 
open to all of your calls and all of your comments. And I will try to uh, read some of your texts if you don't feel like you're quite up to being a voice on the radio. 773-763-9278-773-763-9278. Let us go to the phone lines right now. Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hello, Jim. You are always a wonderful start to my Friday. How are you, John? I have to doff my chapeau to uh, Fannie Willis. I thought that was the most red-blooded testimony I've heard in many, many moons. To get up there and defend herself like that, I thought it was spectacular. Pointing out that that uh, I'm not on trial. You're the lunatics to put yourself on trial for training and yep. an election. And the other thing I was going to say, Joan, one of these days when we do pen the tail on the donkey, whatever barrister it is, think of their possibly their future. They're either the prince or princess of any law firm on earth. Also, what about an advance on a literary book? You were the first one to bag the, the nutcase. The other thing is, real quick, <laughs> the other thing, Joan, is Trump's attitude toward uh, isolationism. Now he wants to be an isolationist. He, he, wants, he doesn't want to defend any of our neighbors. or right. Because he, he's not going to uh, put out any military gear and help any neighbor. Or he's, gonna, he's not going to lift a finger to help any neighbor. But the point that I'm trying to make is here's, a, here's how laughable this is. He sold trinkets to China. He invited the Chinese to come into his apartments when he was president of the United States. Oh, yeah. Doing about $8 million, Some ungodly amount of money. I, I have no idea. And then he wanted to put his name on everything from coffins to buildings to anywhere in the in, in, in Russia or in Saudi Arabia, I mean, these countries that are sworn against us. And now he's going to help our neighbors in a war, you know, in a situation where where we need American American yeah. help. He thinks he's been um, he's he's conveying to people that he's a smart businessman, because what he has said is that in his opinion, which, by the way, is not true. Uh, there are lots of members of NATO who aren't paying their fair share. And if they're not going to pony up the money that they're supposed to pay, well, then why should NATO protect them? Them. Like it's a transaction, like it's a like it's a storefront deal um, and, and not um, a deal to protect the security of the freaking world. And he's too cheap to pay a porn star. He's, he's such a cheapskate, he couldn't even pay a porn star. Let alone, he's going to collect debts from other countries and he can't pay it. He can't pay off a porn star. Anyway, well, he tried. Anyway. <laughs> he tried. He didn't try very hard, Joe. If he was, he was supposed to be worth, uh, you know, billions and billions, you know. And he can't pay off a porn star. I don't get it, Joe. I don't know about you, but I don't get it. But anyway, yeah. uh, we got mar- how many days are left, Joe? How many days are left? <laughs> what do we got? Two hundred, two hundred days uh, till left. The, um, days till the election. I'm going to have to. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, during the week. Anyway, you have a great 262 weekend, Jonah. days. 262 <laughs> right. days. Right. Oh, my God. I hope I can survive it. All right, Joe. Oh, you, you and me weekend. both, Thank Jim. You. you and me both. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, you so much. Bye. Thank you much for Bye-bye. the call. Uh, our good friend Bobby is also on the line calling in from Indiana. Hello, Bobby. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Well, 
James has got me off to a good start. Now I'm <laughs> going to tear everything down. But hopefully uh, President Roosevelt from the South Side and Earl and Hyde Park will patch <laughs> things up when I get through. But um, I heard a lot of talk today about uh, our good old uh, Congress, and now they're going on vacation without passing it. Yeah. Legislation. For the for the funding. Yeah. Um, President Biden was really, really upset um, about about this. Uh, he was he was really upset. He was like, they haven't done anything and they're going home for two weeks. Do you know, Bobby, when they get back, they will have three days before the government begins to shut down because, oh, by the way, not only have they not voted for a border reform, not only have they not voted for aid for uh, Israel, Ukraine and Taiwan, they have also not bothered to take up the budget that it's like they didn't even they even stopped talking about it. And starting three days after they get back is when, you know, the government will begin shutting down. It's a first it's a 20 percent shutdown. And then over the next week or two, um, more and more and more of the government shuts down. It's just it's just crazy. It's just crazy. Well, I tried to do a Joni this morning. I called my congressman's office and said and asked him, I said, well, now that they're, you know, going on this little hiatus, I, I asked, can the Democrats stay behind and pass this legislation while the morons are out doing God knows what? And she said, no, unfortunately, we can't do that. So I tried. I tried. <laughs> but they wouldn't go for it, but I couldn't. But I tell you. I was hearing today a number of people saying that, well, that money for Ukraine, we really should be spending that to help our people here. And Christ almighty, Joni, I could, boy, could I use a few of those shekels myself right now. But I'm here to tell you, based on historical facts, and the way this cat Putin is, and the fact that if you let him, he will do whatever the hell he wants, where and whenever he wants, that yeah. this money, which is a nice hunk of money, to me. Is and you know, Bobby, this well keeps spent. coming up uh, over and over, and I think well-meaning people misunderstand this, because I had somebody... I was talking to somebody back in December who's a very um, a very good person. And they were like, but this money for Ukraine, you know, we have so many needs here in the United States. And I explained that the money for Ukraine is coming out of the defense budget. If we don't send any aid to Ukraine, that doesn't mean that money is available to um, to fund Head Start programs or uh, provide free school lunches. That is Defense Department money. It will never go to these needs that a lot of people see, and justly so, in the neighborhoods. 
And as Mitch McConnell, God help me, I'm quoting Mitch McConnell, clearly explained what we do is let's say let's say we were allotting ten dollars for Ukraine. That ten dollars comes out of the defense budget. And you know what it does? We send our old stuff. We really don't use tanks anymore. There's you know, we've really kind of moved past that. We have a lot of munitions that are older. We give Ukraine the dollar equivalent of all that old stuff. And with that $10 that has been allotted by Congress, we buy new stuff for our military. It is a win, win, win. Ukraine gets munitions that aren't really complicated and can be run by the average person. We get brand new stuff. And, you know, what? there's literally nothing not to like about that deal. And even if the money were not allotted, it would not go toward fixing the social ills of our country because it ain't coming out of that particular part of the budget. And I, I, well, I really, you know, well-meaning people who I think, you know, have no ill will for Ukraine and no particular love for Trump don't understand this. Well, there's another thing, and here again, it's just my idiot opinion, but I don't have or would not have, I maybe should say, a personal dog in the fight when it comes. If they don't, if they allow Ukraine to go down. But if you have relatively young children right at this moment and Ukraine goes down, I would guess that roughly somewhere within the next three to five years, you will see some of your children fighting and dying and being maimed in Europe because we didn't help stop Putin in his tracks now. Yep, that you you hit the nail on the head. And, you know, looking back, this has caused me to do a little bit uh, more reading of history than I would normally do. Of course, normally that amount is pretty much zero. But looking back at the beginning of World War Two, what we are experiencing now, I think, is a little worse. But even even back then, there were famous reputable people who were saying it's Hitler is Europe's problem. They've got to deal with it. This has nothing to do with us. We got to stay out of this. Um, we got to take care of ourselves. You know, the same arguments that you're hearing now. Well, why, you know, like, what does it matter whether Putin takes over Ukraine? Well, as we've learned from history and as we know, Vladimir Putin has said publicly that he thinks the breakup of the USSR was the most horrible thing that's ever happened over there and that it was his mission, his goal to restore all of that territory back to Russia. And, you know, we're not just talking about Ukraine. I mean, those are the people in Estonia have to be uh, have to be pretty nervous. And the people in Moldova have all but made peace with the fact that if Ukraine falls, they will fall right after that. 
And it's gotten to the point where even the people in Poland are concerned. Putin has made noises about Poland. And, you know, we are supposed to just sit back and do nothing while the dominoes fall in Europe. When that happened before, how'd that work out for us? How'd that work? We ended up fighting Japan on one side and Hitler on the other. I mean, we've well, got to learn these lessons. Hey, hey, if, if my dad were still alive, let me tell you, baby, he could tell you exactly how it worked out for us. Yes. <laughs> he was in the Army twice. Man, my dad was in the Air Force. My uncle was in the Army. My uncle was uh, gravely wounded by shrapnel and spent the rest of his life on crutches um, because of all the damage that the shrapnel had done to his body. And his brother was killed over there. Uh, He's buried uh, somewhere in France. had Had my dad's feet. Not frozen in a foxhole, he would likely have been killed in the early days of the Battle of the Bulge because they mm-hmm. came right to his sector. So, uh, yep, he could he could have he could have educated a lot of people if it would have done any good. But yeah. a lot of the unfortunately, that's the one of the problems now is just about everybody uh, that was there at the time is gone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, they're not here to uh, most of them are not here to speak loud and long over what they are seeing. And, and you know it's human nature. Nobody wants to get involved in a fight. You know, it's like, oh my god, this you know, it's not like Putin's invading Canada and we really have to worry. I mean, it's over there and you know, it's it's Ukraine and so, and did you know, Bobby, some of the people who live in Ukraine speak Russian. So so there, it's human nature not to want to do this. But you know, we have a choice. I mean, we've got a country that's willing to to fight one of our greatest enemies on the planet. And not require anything of us except munitions and some money. That's all they want from us, to take on our greatest enemy on the planet in our stead. And we're waffling. We're dithering. We're dithering because Donald Trump loves Vladimir Putin. Some people Mm -hmm. say, oh, Putin must have, you know, blackmail on, on Trump. I don't think that's even necessary. Putin may have that. Putin may have blackmail material on Trump, but Donald Trump is so enamored of Vladimir Putin. Remember, Donald Trump lied when he was a candidate. He was asked if he had any financial dealings and he was like, absolutely not. And then it came to light years later that as he was running for president, he was negotiating to build a Trump Tower in Moscow. So, you know, this is Putin doesn't need to have blackmail on Trump. Trump just worships the ground he walks on. Hey, Joni. Yes, dear. Um, you and Ray and Willer have a real a good time with Al Franken this weekend. Um, it's actually next weekend. He's um, coming to City Winery on oh, the 24th and the 25th. Oh, yeah. I'm, off, like, I'm, I'm off on everything, but whatever <laughs> it is, I hope you have a good time. Oh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. And, Bobby, thank you so much for the call. It is always great to hear from you. Bye-bye.
We are um, up against a break now. We are going to take that break. Um, we are going to share more of what's going on. Uh, Jim from Chicago was talking about Fonnie Willis. So we've got some Fonnie Willis sound bites. And um, the other, what would have probably been what I would have led with, the other big story of the day, uh, is a very significant death in Russia. That and more when we come back. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Okay, a couple big stories of the day. Literally, as I was going on the air, I was reading the judge's decisions. I actually... I was reading the judge's decision. Judge Angeron has ruled on Donald Trump. I was so into it. I forgot to turn my microphone on. Sorry about that. You know, it doesn't do me any good to talk to you if you can't hear me. Uh, it's a nice little button and I've got to remember to push it. Um, so Donald Trump is fined over $350 million and is going to be banned from doing business in New York for three years. His sons banned from doing business in New York for three years. Eric, $4 million he owes. Don Jr., $4 million he owes. Alan Weisselberg, the CFO who went to jail rather than turn and then eventually turned, he has to pay a million bucks. And he cannot be a part of any New York corporation for three years. That's happened literally at like 2.02 today. Uh, the other story, Alexei Navalny, the uh, only serious opposition to Vladimir Putin, the man who was poisoned by Putin, was uh, treated in, in Germany, barely recovered. And what did he do? Against the advice of almost everybody who said it was going to be too dangerous, he returned to Russia, was immediately jailed. <sighs> has been in jail ever since, was um, some time ago, was moved to a Siberian jail. And the word is out today that he has died. He, uh, there's a conference going on in Munich. And... uh, Alexei Navalny's wife spoke there and announced to everyone that her husband had been murdered by Putin. Um, President Biden, a couple of years ago, was talking about Navalny and what he meant and the danger he was in. Listen to President Biden from 2021. Navalny's death would be another indication that Russia has little or no intention of abiding by basic fundamental human rights. It would be a tragedy. It would do nothing but hurt his relationships with the rest of the world, in my view, and with me. When Alexei Navalny's wife told this international conference in Munich, Germany, that he had been murdered. There wasn't um, a lot of detail uh, on tap at that time, nor is there, frankly, now. Vice President Kamala Harris spent part of the time 
allotted to her to speak to talk about Navalny. Listen to Vice President Harris. Before I begin today, we've all just received reports that Alexei Navalny has died in Russia. This is, of course, terrible news, which we are working to confirm. My prayers are with his family, including his wife, Yulia, who is with us today. And if confirmed, this would be a further sign of Putin's brutality. Whatever story they tell, let us be clear, Russia is responsible. And we will have more to say on this later. Alexei Navalny's wife, Yulia, made this announcement at this conference today, a security conference in Munich. She said that the prison service had told her that her husband collapsed and died after becoming unwell during a walk. She made a speech asking the international community to come together and fight against what she described as the horrific regime in Russia. And, you know, that means Vladimir Putin. U.S. Senator Chris Murphy was talking to Andrea Mitchell, and she got his reaction to Yulia Navalny's remarks on the death of her husband, Alexei Navalny. Listen to this. An extraordinary moment, and her speech, uh, Alexei Navalny's wife, was short and to the point. Vladimir Putin murdered my husband, there's no doubt about that, and he has to pay a price. And so this conference in which the world is really deciding whether we are going to stay with Ukraine or whether we are going to allow Putin to march into Ukraine and perhaps into Europe, the stakes just got raised because you have now seen the clear sickness and brutality of Vladimir Putin, who you know is so um, uh, is so insecure about his hold on power that he needed to murder one of his last remaining political opponents on the brink of his election that he was sure to win ninety eight to two. He that's not good enough for him. So my hope, and I think Yulia's hope, is that this puts some steel in the spine of the United States. That maybe some of these Republicans that are running away from Ukraine and to President Trump decide that democracy is worth it. Because if you abandon Ukraine, you are abandoning democracy crusaders all across the world. People like Alexei Navalny who are speaking truth to power um, in dictatorial regimes throughout the world, their light is flickering today and perhaps goes out if we abandon the legacy of Alexei Navalny and we abandon the freedom fighters in Ukraine. We can't do it. Sounds like an argument that makes sense to me, but and I know there are tons of Republicans, Mitch McConnell among them, who really believe that aid for Ukraine is an absolute no-brainer and is absolutely necessary, not just for Ukraine, but for the security of the world. But uh, very few of the Republicans who will tell you that privately are willing to say it publicly. They are afraid. Adam Kinzinger in his uh, substack today talks about, well, you might think that at least the ones who've announced that uh, they're retiring would have some courage. 
uh, to come out and say we need to support Ukraine and we need to be anti-Putin. But he explains what he has said over and over again, that even the Republicans who have said they're not going to run for re-election or they are retiring or they are leaving national political life, they are not going to speak out because they are looking to how they are going to make money in the future. How do they make the most money? By trading on their access. I used to be a member of Congress. You know, I can talk to so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Hire me to be your lobbyist. And you know what? If you take a stand that angers the party, people are going to be concerned that you won't have that access. That um, when you go to try to lobby your colleagues, they're not going to listen to you. Because you have made yourself uh, an outsider. So not only can those people who want to run for re-election not say anything that's going to get them in hot water, even the people who are leaving public life, who are retiring, who are resigning, they are not going to say anything against Donald Trump. Here's what Kinzinger wrote today. Why are so many retiring members still quiet on Russia? Why don't those members who don't have to face the voters anymore approach the speaker and tell him they'll burn down every rule vote unless he agrees to bring up funding for Ukraine? Well, that's an easy one to answer because these members are banking on access to the tribe after they leave office. If you want to lobby or use your connections that you've spent a lifetime building to make money after you leave Capitol Hill, you cannot anger those people. And besides, you know, if Trump wins, maybe you want to be considered for some kind of post in his administration. And making the Freedom Caucus mad isn't going to help you with that either. Cowards in office, cowards out of office. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Hello, Steve. How are you today? Brian, thank you. Uh, so I'd like to make a couple of points. You know, let's face it, I mean, we've got only a few months left to actually get the American people to listen to us. Like it or not, I mean, we live in a society where between Memorial Day and Labor Day, people pretty much tune out politics. And that includes during presidential election years. Now, they'll, they'll tune in a little bit more than they would otherwise because there are conventions and so forth. But given that we've got pretty much the same lineup as in 2020, there's not a lot to draw people to, you know, what's going on in politics this summer. So we've got a few months left to talk to people and then we come back and come Labor Day, we've got until then. Well, <laughs> there we go again. You know, for a while, Steve was able to access some kind of landline that didn't drop out on him, but I, I don't know what's going on there. But um, let's go back to the phone lines. Phil is calling in from the north side. Hey, Phil. Hey, Joan, how are you? Happy $350 million Friday. <laughs> <laughs> About time, huh? Yep. Okay. I realize this seems like last year's news because we live in this modern news cycle, but I kind of wanted to weigh in on uh, John Stewart. Sure. Um, yeah. I'm, a, I'm sick and tired of hearing his fellow comedians be apolog- apologists for yeah. him, you know, yeah. kind of covering up for him. What yeah. he did to me, and there's one line in his diatribe that is just damnable, that's, irre- 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 that's reprehensible. 
He said we'll be fine no matter who wins. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know. And how, I'm thinking to myself, where have you been? He? How? Yeah. He'll yeah. be fine. A white guy, a multimillionaire. Did, did he learn nothing from mm-hmm. 2016 in the following four years? I know dozens of people that suffered very badly because Trump won and because the maggots were empowered by Trump winning. They, it, 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 for him to say that it, it is just so disgusting to me. And the thing is, if his guy, let's say Bernie Sanders, won in 2020 and Bernie Sanders was now going up for re-election, same age as Joe Biden roughly, there is no way he would be playing the, uh, the uh, age shaming his guy yeah. Bernie. The way yeah. he is doing and I mean, poking a little fun is okay. He went way beyond He went that. way, way, way overboard. And I actually read one person who was, again, defending him. And they said, well, you know, I really think that he said what he said on purpose. I think he wanted to get people oh, yeah. mad that that was the point. Yeah. And I'm like, He's really? He's up the voters, sure. Yeah, you that, know, that, I again, mean. More, yeah, more excuses and word games from, from them, uh, mm-hmm. like gaslighting everyone. There, 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 there's this, there's a meme on the Internet, and, and it, I think, really think it applies to Stuart in this case. It's like the old Scooby-Doo cartoon. And the kids are pulling a mask off of some villain, and the mask says both sides suck. And then underneath the mask, the face underneath it says, I really want Trump to win. And I, I, I swear, I really think that John Stewart still has an axe to grind. And in his, he, you know, there is, I'm about Stewart's age, and I am seeing this festering, obnoxious entitlement um, among a lot of guys my age. That sure it's a free world. Go ahead, make your choice. But if you don't back the guy I choose, guess what? I'll I'll undermine you so bad I'll destroy Mm -hmm. your world. And I really think that Stuart and I used to love him. I watched the Daily Show all the time. I really think like Bill Maher, he has fallen into that category now. Just oh yeah, I gave up on Bill Maher a while ago. I got really tired of his attitude that I'm not. I'm not. I'm not just the smartest person in the room. I am quite possibly the smartest person in the world. And if you don't agree with me, then you're dumb. Yeah. Obnoxious sense of entitlement. It's, mm-hmm. it's, and I never it, thought I'd like see it. I never thought I'd see it from Stewart. And I, I don't I, believe he said what he said because he willfully wanted people to get angry. Because the person who wrote that said, "See, he got what he wanted because everybody's talking yeah, about it." Yeah, yeah but Again, everybody's not talking right. about like how great it was or how insightful people, he was. Yeah. Everybody's talking about how. How all he could do, he equivoc, he, he said that between Trump and Biden, it doesn't really matter. They're, they're both, they both, they both are, you know, they've both got some problems. So, and I'm like, are you kidding me? If you notice this, these people, these both sides people, and, and I'm hoping they get rendered you, I, I'm hoping Gen Z steps up and just knocks them out of the box that they have, they don't wield any more power over, like they've got us over a barrel anymore. But if you notice, they engage in a lot of the same gaslighting that the maggots do, this kind of, you know, they're never responsible for anything. It's mm-hmm. really, 
it, 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 and again, with this, this kind of this entitlement, uh, it, it seems like it started out on the right and it crossed the line. And, and now the, the very, very far left is, in, is adopting the same kind of like uncompromising entitlement. Like, you know, it, it's, it's just very sad. I never thought we'd get to this. You know, Phil, I read somewhere somebody who was uh, who was as disappointed in John Stewart as I was. And they said, you know, we didn't need the the John Stewart who showed up Monday night, the guy who uh, is going to just not really care and make fun. And just it's all about the jokes. They said we need the angry John Stewart, the John Stewart who fought for veterans, the John Stewart who fought for the 9-11 fund. That's the John Stewart we need right here, right now. Not this guy who's just, hey, you know what? Biden's old. Isn't that hilarious? <laughs> With the, does he realize how, how dangerous at this time in history, with the influence he wields, to give the confirmation bias to people who do are on the edge and think, well, maybe both sides are the same. To dissuade voters like that is, is he, in my opinion, it's evil. We are at a point now. This is your human decency uh, at, on the, uh, a test of your basic human decency. If you do not vote in November to stop Trump, you have failed as a human being. I don't care what your issues with Biden are, because under Trump, whatever issues you have with Biden will be tenfold. With Trump, then you, you and you won't have a voice. And you know, Stuart knows that. You know, he's not stupid. He's not stupid. He knows that. So that almost makes me madder because it's like the tack he took had to be a well thought out, deliberate choice. This guy didn't just stumble into it because he doesn't know any better. Um, Of all the people, I just. I was so disappointed. I recorded it. My partner, Ray, uh, was had gone to bed early, and I recorded it. And I told him in the morning, I said, you know, I've got Jon Stewart on the DVR, but I would strongly suggest you don't watch it because it's just going to make you mad. Oh, honestly, it, it, it it comes down to he's just trying to get even with people who didn't see how glorious the candidate he wanted to be president was. Well, I think I've talked myself on it, out on that. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a place to vent and agree with me. But yeah. it, it's just, it, you know, it's just to see him try and get this bold siderism to where it's head again. Where just, the heck he, did I, that come from? Uh, <laughs> I, I, all the, in my opinion, all the work he did for the 9-11 first responders, he's just canceled it now, canceled it out now. It, it, you, you, that, I, again, I, I have no idea how these people live with themselves, but they do. Yeah. And, you know, there's a part of me that is tempted to watch this Monday to see how he explains himself, because I was looking at social media and there were a few high profile people 
who said, oh, you know, John Stewart, like he's back. That the great job. And then I looked in the comments. One is Kara Swisher. She used to be in, uh, affiliated with The New York Times. Now she's like a really famous podcaster and thousands of people follow her. And she like praised Stewart. And in the comments, there were like 150 comments and there were maybe three percent of the comments that agreed with her. And the rest of the comments were like, did you see the same show I saw? What are you talking about? Exactly. You know, this is not the guy yeah. that we That's wanted. This is not the guy that we that we needed every over, I'd say 98 percent of the comments were like, what the hell just happened? We were we were completely uh, ambushed with this new whataboutism, yeah. John Stewart. Yeah, yeah. It, from from where I'm at, ground level, anecdotally, what I'm seeing is uh, a backlash, mostly backlash against what he did, except for the people who didn't vote in 216. <laughs> And a lot of his fellow entertainers are, are, like I said, being apologists and and trying to get use this gaslighting. They're like, oh, you know, he was just getting people fired up. So they, yeah, right, right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, by dissuading other people to vote, uh, other people not to vote. Yeah, and I mean, it's just so. Again, I can't stress it enough. It is that attitude for people in his position of influence and exposure. Yeah. To, to, and, to you know, I think if we thought he was going to be crap again, I thought I thought I hoped he was going to be a soldier in the army for good. But now I, I think I, that, um, I you know, I don't know. Years. Yeah. I don't I watched know. him for years when George W. Bush won, won his uh, second term. I thought he was. I think he he he, he almost cried on, on 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 TV. And to go from that to to saying it, it, it will be okay if Trump wins another term is it's it's incomprehensible to me. It's astonishing. I I don't know where. These people, what color the sky is in their world? I, I honestly, I, it's, it's it's unimaginable to me. But you know, here we yeah. are. Yeah, it was unimaginable to me too. I kept thinking, I kept thinking, I'm going to stick with this because you know he's just setting this up and he's going to turn the corner and he's going to remind us that even though they're both old and making mistakes, that they represent night and day and that we have to make sure that we're all working to bring, you know, daylight to the country. I kept waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it. And it never happened. And then what really ticked me off, you know, I guess he wants again, like Bill Maher, he wants us all to know how smart he is. So his first guest wasn't any unknown elected politician or certainly not a celebrity, we got the woman who publishes The Economist, which, of course, so many people read. And, you know, she had some interesting things to say about liberalism and conservatism. But the first part of her conversation was, you know, Biden needs to step aside. Biden needs to step aside. Biden needs. And he's just like, yep, you know, um, you know, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Bill Maher getting guests like the guy that wrote Dilbert that completely hate Hillary oh, and, you know, yeah. fall in line with him. I have a, uh, an analogy uh, I, I could mention 
too. It, Biden has totally changed my mind about ageism. I did fall into the category, well, he'll be okay for a first term, and, you know, he's too old. He's, he's been the most progressive president I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like I said, I'm about Stewart's age. But if, if you went to a restaurant and an 80-year-old guy cooked you the best meal you've ever had, would you care how well she was or would you just eat the food? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Would you turn the He's too old. I don't want this food. And Why? frankly? It's been cooked to your perfection. Yeah. Uh, frankly, he's Phil? He's too old. I don't care. If um if Trump is the Republican nominee, I would vote for SpongeBob if uh, if SpongeBob well, were the yeah, only alternative yeah. on the ballot. I'd vote for SpongeBob. I, As you I know. said, and I'll repeat myself: this is a test of your humanitarianism. Humanitarianism. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you do not vote against Trump, you have failed as a, as being a decent human being. I don't care what your issues are with Biden. They will be 10 times worse under Trump. You are not solving any problems by letting uh, Trump win. Uh, you know, it, it's that plain and simple. The people who may, all made a mistake in 216 of thinking they were somehow fixing the system by making it worse. Well, we saw how that worked for four years of Trump. And, and I, I do not get that, too, because I suffered very greatly under Trump. But I know people that people of minorities, all different minority groups that suffered way worse than I did. I don't even feel mentioning my, you know, the hardships I endured under Trump. Uh, matter that much compared to other people and, and just the empowerment, his fascist took on when he won that election and their behavior for the next four years, literally terrorizing people. And for someone like Stewart to sit on his ivory tower and say, you know, we'll be fine either way, just Mm incenses me. I I, I cannot get over it. We're all going to have to move to that animal sanctuary that his wife runs. Um, You know, Donald (laughs) Trump gets elected. They better start building some tiny houses on that property. Because um, some of us yeah. are going to need to run for our lives. Well, Phil, the other thing. Yeah, I got. Okay. It. I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to break for the news. But Phil, I, I clearly you have touched a nerve with me on this uh, particular case. So uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And you know, I am. Um, uh, you know, it isn't just Ray who goes to bed early. I I tend to go to bed early too. So I had set. I have the Daily Show set to record and. Um, you know what? I'm I'm going to I'm going to cancel that recording. And if you know, if he goes on the air Monday and does a big mea culpa, maybe I'll come back. But there's too much crud in the world and I don't need it coming from John Stewart. Oh, by the way, one uh, text that I wanted to uh, reply to before we break for news. Somebody texted in and they wanted to know why Jared and Ivanka were not part of this Judge Angeron uh, settlement. Uh, ruling that came across at 202 today where Donald Trump has to pay more than 350 million dollars and can't do business for uh, three years in New York and Eric and Don Jr. have to pay four million dollars each and also cannot do business in the state of New York for the next three years. Ivanka was separated from this legal action early on. Her lawyers were able to argue successfully 
that during the time period that the prosecutors were looking at, she really wasn't involved with the family business and uh, therefore really didn't have anything to do with the things that prosecutors were looking at. So she was separated from this case. That's why you don't see Jared and Ivanka uh, mentioned in this uh, financial settlement. We're going to take a break for news. Be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. It is Friday, and I am so glad you are here. We have uh, a lot of news today. You have hopefully heard by now that there has been a decision released in the fraud case. You know, Donald Trump and his business were found to have uh, fraudulently operated in New York. And Judge Engeron heard testimony to decide what sort of penalties uh, he should face. And the decision is that he now has to pay more than $350 million. He is barred from doing business in New York for the next three years. Don Jr. has to pay over $4 million. He is barred from doing business in the state of New York for the next three years. Eric is barred from doing business in New York for the next three years and has to pay over $4 million. And the former Trump Organization CFO, Alan Weisselberg, has to pay a million dollars and is also barred from doing any kind of business in the state of New York for the next three years. As I said right before we broke um, for uh, news, um, some people were texting in and wanting to know why Ivanka wasn't part of this deal. She was able to convince uh, the lawyers in this case that she was not part of the family business during the period where these fraudulent practices were found to be in place, that she had gone off to be um, Mrs. Kushner and that it really wasn't fair to lump her with the rest of the family. That argument was listened to and she was dropped very early on uh, from all of this. So that is why she is not a part of it. The other big news of the day, the announcement that Alexei Navalny has died. He was the only real serious, well-known opposition to Vladimir Putin. Putin poisoned him. He was brought back from the brink of death at a hospital in Germany. As soon as he was well, he got back on a plane, went back to Russia, was arrested almost immediately, put in jail, and has never had never seen freedom after that. Um, a few months ago, he was moved uh, to a jail a penal colony in Siberia, uh, one that uh, has an even worse reputation, <laughs> if you can imagine that, than uh, the jails in uh, Moscow. And uh, his wife said that she was notified by Russia that... Um, he was taking a walk and became unwell and died, as one does when one is taking a walk. He was taking a walk, became unwell, and died shortly thereafter. She is at a security, an international security conference in Munich. She spoke to the people there, and she said, We all know Vladimir Putin murdered my husband, you know, we all have to oppose him. 
So those are the two huge stories of the day, both of which are um, sort of eclipsing some really incendiary testimony as uh, Fawny Willis in Georgia uh, defends her actions and reputation. Um, she is, of course, the one bringing the case the election interference case in Fulton County, Georgia, against Donald Trump. And um, one of the lawyers working on that case who was hired by her, she, for a time, had a personal relationship with. And, of course, the Trump attorneys are saying, well, that that should disqualify her. And, unfortunately, if she gets disqualified, if she is, if the... If the judge rules she has to recuse, it's not just her, it's the entire office that she represents that would have to step away from this trial, which is, of course, exactly what the Trump attorneys want. You know, they want this whole thing to go away, and it's unclear what would happen. But um, a little bit later, uh, I'm going to share some of uh, the testimony that she gave. She wasn't expected to testify but she walked into court, and she looked at the judge, and apparently her lawyer looked a little surprised. And she was like, I'm here, and I'm ready to testify. And testify she did. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines right now. Um, as uh, Bobby from Indiana said, President Roosevelt is calling in. He is on the line. Hey, Roosevelt, how are you? Hey, Joan, thank you for taking my call. And hello, Bobby. How you doing out there? <laughs> yeah. Love to hear from you. Always love to hear from Bobby. Um, okay. Um, so, I believe it was three. I believe it's three fifty-four. David Muir uh, was watching David Muir earlier when he was breaking uh, news. Three hundred fifty-four million. I did the math. I don't have, uh, like, uh, Herman Cain. I hope that uh, I have facts to back this up. So, $354 million for Trump, four for Junior, four for uh, Eric, $50 million for uh, lawyer's fees from last year, 88 for E. Jean Carroll, because let's not forget, she, uh, she sued him last year for $5 million plus the 83 Um what else? Oh, let's not forget Stormy Daniels on the oh, yeah. thirty thousand. <clears throat> well, the, and that trial and is coming up March twenty fifth, the hush money trial. And I have that's where I'm heading. I have questions about that, and I believe one hundred and fifty two for Karen McDougal. Uh, Trump University twenty five million. That's going back. This is since <laughs> he came into the scene as far as a candidate for president. And while now, so back to the Stormy Daniels thing. So that was hush money, right? Which is both uh, election election, from what I understand, from election interference, because you're paying hush money not to affect your election. I believe that's that's the way it goes. Yeah, the argument is so, that he paid off Karen and he paid off Stormy um, because he didn't right. want them to be able to talk about the fact that he was sleeping with them. While he was married, his wife was pregnant and then gave birth, and he was with these other two women um, while he was running for president. Now, does that mean that, um, mm, let's see, what was my question? Oh, the 130 for Stormy. 
Okay, does that mean that he will get fined if he's found guilty for the hush money, money on, uh, what is it, 25th of uh, March when the jury selection comes, uh, the judge said yesterday, 20th, 25th of March is when it starts? The Stormy and the, yeah, and Will Stormy. That's the Alvin Bragg Stormy case. T- you got to keep these prosecutors. Right. You know, I find it easiest right. to remember these cases by who's prosecuting them. This was the very first mm-hmm. indictment that was brought against him, but Alvin Bragg sat back because he didn't want to schedule anything that would interfere with the Georgia case or the Florida case or the Washington case. And since it looks like all of those cases are. Um, stalled at the minute uh he decided to go ahead with his then and that's why we've got this yeah right and and what does it mean by not doing business for three years does that mean that the properties that he has he cannot sell them he cannot uh, rent them i mean what specific business well you know that's a really interesting question you ask roosevelt um because I do know that people were saying that one possible outcome would be that Judge Engeron, Engeron forbids him from ever again doing business in New York. And his companies are all registered in New York. And if that had happened, he would have had to, as I understand it, because I said to some expert, well, why can't he just move them all, like go over and incorporate in New Jersey and move everything over? And this expert said to me, it doesn't work like that. You know, he would have to get rid of almost everything. So what what does this mean for three years? I don't know. I don't un- right. I don't really understand the business ramifications of of, right. of this decision, whether that means that. He has to everything he owns. He has to turn it over to different management for three years. I mean, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean he still makes money off of it. Um, it's 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 right. real. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't know enough about the the business law to to be able to tell you one uh, way or the other. And Joan, now that I think of it, didn't he pay off? Or was there a story way back when? Didn't he pay off a doorman for some? Another woman that he got pregnant or something, paying him off like a million dollars. That was a rumor, but I don't know if it was if it ever came to um, there. I Mm -hmm. read about that as well, that supposedly he had paid off, Mm -hmm. as you say, a doorman, because I don't know whether it was his building or her building, but supposedly somebody got pregnant. And but that um, that was never something that. Um, was further developed. I don't know. Either it didn't. Either it was just a rumor, or reporters weren't able to verify the the story. I had read that as well. That was because at the time this was happening, it just seemed like there was one, and then there was another one, and then there was another one, and they, you know, the hits kept coming, and um, and that's when I heard these other rumors about having gotten someone pregnant, but. Uh, then I stopped reading about it. So I don't know if nobody was able to prove it or, or exactly what happened with that one. All right. And, and last but not least, I want to connect it with the story yesterday about um, uh, Biden's son, that, that guy Alexander Smirnov, was mm-hmm. uh, lied about the story. So, so what I'm trying to say is I'm connecting it because of the fact that not once President Biden ever say it's a witch hunt. Not once 
Hunter Biden said, hey, listen, I, I don't want to. On the contrary, he says, I wanted to be out in the open because he knew there was a, a made up, uh, trumped up, uh, or, uh, uh, trumped up uh, stuff that they that they pulled as of uh, uh, Fox News, but the aid of Fox News and that guy, Alexander Smirnoff. So not once Hunter Biden or his dad ever say, hey, this is a witch hunt. Compared to this guy, he's such a coward and he's such a, a snowflake that he constantly says that it's a witch hunt. It's a witch hunt. I mean, it's the same thing over and over and over again. When it comes down to his defense, he have no defense. Because, look, uh, I believe what's his name, Fanny uh, Willis? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. from uh, Georgia? Yeah. Uh, Fanny Willis... He's answering, answering questions that Trump has never uh, done. Uh, I mean, answer questions in, in front of a courtroom or to be put on uh, uh, as far as uh, sworn in uh, as, a, as, a, as a witness. So, and then that's not to mention all the other cases that are going to be coming up, civil cases. Who knows? Maybe the police, uh, Capitol Police, are going to start suing in because they're going to see all this civil I believe this is a civil case, right? As far as the three hundred fifty-four million, so they're gonna they're gonna say, "Well, wait a minute! If if, if that's happening, then I'm gonna sue him too because of the fact that he encouraged an insurrection." In my opinion, I believe there's gonna be some of those cases. I don't know what you think. What's your opinion? Well, you know, I mean, I suppose that's a that's a possibility. Again, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not quite sure um, how that would work out. I do know that um, there are certainly some Capitol Police officers who are ticked off enough because, you know, filing suit against somebody, especially a high-profile somebody, is unbelievably stressful. I'm surprised, honestly, that E. Jean Carroll is still able to even walk and hold her head up all the years she's been going through this. Um, So um, I don't know. I mean, I I was... um, A while back, I interviewed... um, the Sergeant Gunnell, who had written a book about being an immigrant to this country and uh, joining the military for this country and then what happened to him on January 6th and and just the sense of this country letting him down and betraying him. And certainly, you know, he's not the only one. One of the one of the uh, January 6th um, guys is actually running for Congress. Oh, his last name starts with a D, and I've just blanked on it. But, you know, there, and then there's Michael Fanone. You know, I mean, these these guys certainly have a depth of anger sufficient to be willing to withstand the legal process, which can be can be really, really trying. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see that, Roosevelt. Hey, uh, I need to get to a break, Roosevelt. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you, Joan. Yeah. Thank you. Have a good night. Yeah. We're going to take a break and be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and we're going to do something a little bit different this Friday. You know, we always, the first half of the show, we always, you know, just play sound clips and talk about news and take your calls. Um, and at 3.30, I'm going to be joined by Good Government Illinois' David Orr. But we are going to continue talking about the news of the day and taking your calls. We're going to take calls and talk whatever subject you want to talk about. 
for the entirety of today. It's kind of an experiment. <laughs> we will see how it works. Um, and uh, so it's uh, it's going to be interesting. You know, I was talking about Fonnie Willis. And be- if you're on the phones, stay on the phones because we will get to you. Like I said, we're going to be taking calls all day today. So um, I wanted to share with this. I've made reference to this several times. Fonnie Willis, the prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, the who is going after Donald Trump for election interference, was accused of having an inappropriate relationship. Uh, one of the prosecutors on the team is somebody that she previously, no longer, but previously had a romantic relationship with. And, oh, that compromises her and she's got to be disqualified and she's got to take her whole office with her and everything can't go forward. Okay. Um, Fonnie Willis was not expected to take the stand in her own defense. And uh, she decided, you know what? The heck with that. Who who can def- I didn't do anything wrong. Um, who can defend me better than me? And so she got up on the stand. And it, um, in the words of one of my friends, it was spicy. <laughs> At one point, um, the attorneys for Donald Trump are questioning her. You know, they're trying to um, dig into this relationship. And um, they ask her a question and they got more than they expected with her answer because she was like, you know, by the way, that makes reference to this other thing uh, that's a lie. And you've, you know, all these lies. And, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, judge. And she was like, no, 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 no. We, you know, we're going to talk about this. This is all lies. And uh, the judge finally decides to call a recess. But it was a really interesting situation. Fonnie Willis telling everybody they're lying about her. Listen to this. 2019. Yep. So um, you and Mr. Wade met in October 2019 at a conference? That is correct. Okay. I think in one of your motions, you tried to implicate and slept with him at that conference, which I find to be extremely offensive. I stayed at that conference. Mr. Wade was my teacher. Well, it's highly offensive when someone lies on you, and it's highly offensive when they Judge. try to implicate that you slept with somebody the first day you met with them, and I take exception to it. See, what you don't understand is because of this case, i got to move. And so I... Ms. I Merchant, to, if you could ask a more precise question. Yes, please. Give me the time period. That Mr. Wade visits you at the place you laid your head. When? Has he ever visited you at the place you laid your head? So let's be clear, because you lied in this, this. Let me tell you which one you lied in. Right here. I think you lied right here. No, 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 no. no. This is the truth. Judge, and this it, is, it, it is a lie. It is, is gonna, a lie. Right, Ms. Willis, you Mr. Sena, thank you. We're going to take five minutes. Yeah. Um, most of the legal people who've been watching her testimony feel that she has indeed made an excellent case uh, that uh, she should not be removed from this case. And um, we will see how uh, the ruling comes down. But um, her father, you know, because one of the questions to her was, oh, you know, why did you pay when you paid him back for this vacation? You know, why did you pay him in cash? Like that's who has that kind of cash? Um, And she said, you know what? Um, My father, who grew up in poor times and also had a lot of saw a lot of. Racial injustice always told me you got to have cash on hand. You got to have enough money to live for six months. 
Every time you go out on a date, you better have enough money in your wallet to get home. And she said, that has always stayed with me. And people were kind of scratching their heads. And, well, they were kind of saying, well, you know, one of the um, experts on Lawrence O'Donnell said, you know, that's, you know, you got to understand the experience of a black man growing up and why something like that would have been important to him. You know what? It isn't just black men. Ray was laughing at me last night because he said, you do that. And he's right. We have a tiny little fire safe, you know, someplace where you like keep all your birth certificates and stuff. So then in case you have a fire, you don't lose it. I always keep emergency cash in that safe. Always. And if for some reason it gets depleted, I make sure the first thing I do is put it back again. Because it's it's makes me feel safe to know. You know, and it, and maybe it'll just be something stupid, like we're getting ready to take a trip and we're going to leave for the airport. And suddenly I realize I don't have any cash in my wallet. Well, you know what? Go to the fire safe and put some money in my wallet. It makes me feel and I, I mean, it's not like I have enough money to live for six months in there, but I have enough money to to make sure I can go on a weekend trip with enough cash in my wallet. It's not, uh, it's not unheard of. I don't know. Maybe you've never lived that way. Maybe you've never thought about it. But trust me, and I'm not the only woman I know who does this. I didn't uh, think of it myself. One of my girlfriends was like, what do you mean? You don't always have a bit of cash hidden away somewhere. And I was like, oh, you know what? Now that you say that, it makes sense. If you don't, then obviously you feel a lot safer and more secure in the world than many of us. We are going to take a break. We are going to continue to take your calls, and we are going to welcome David Orr from Good Government Illinois to the program when we come right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I I am very happy to welcome to our program... Uh, Good Government Illinois' David Orr. Hello, David. How are you today? Uh, I'm fine, Joe. How are you? Well, you know, usually by the end of the week, you think, oh, you know, it's Friday. I'm going to talk to some of the listeners. Going to have a little bit of fun. You know, it's going to be it's going to be nice and we're going to have some laughs. And then all hell breaks loose. Um (laughs) And all that well, goes out the, the window. Well, you're in the news business, yes. Yeah. In the news business, that happens. Didn't I just yeah. hear that the uh, judge came on another $350 million shot to, to Trump? Yes. Sort of um, Donald Trump <laughs> is having to pay th- uh, over $350 million and is uh, barred from basically running a business in New York for three years and frankly he should count his blessings because there were some people who were predicting that it would have been possible for judge Engeron to uh, say that he could never ever have a business in new york ever again so but with all the dirty things he did it's just amazing i mean i know you're talking about in your show before but just uh, someone like this the more you dig into his background and the and total hustler that he is um, and all the damage he did with his schools and other kind of stuff. And so it's finally catching up with him. We'll see what, if 
some of it sticks. Some of it clearly will stick. How much, we don't know. But well, anyway, it'll be... Anyway, happy um, Friday. Yeah, <laughs> happy, happy Friday. Um, and, you know, one of one of our callers was sort of adding up all of the legal fees, all of like the E. Jean Carroll money, all of uh, this money. And um, I don't know, you know, Donnie brags all the time about how deep his pockets are. I guess we're going to really put that to the test. But but here's the thing, David, and I'm making a prediction. And I'm, I'm curious to see if you agree with me that within 24 hours, the texts and the emails to his supporters are going to go out and they're going to say, I need your help to stay in this race. You know, I need to fight all of these um all of these bills that are coming to my doorstep because, you know, the deep state is doing this so that they can prevent me from being your president. Therefore, whatever you can afford to send me, send it to me now. I mean, when the guy gets indicted in 24 hours after an indictment, he makes a couple million dollars. What do you think he's going to make off of this? Well, I think on that one, it's easy to say you're clearly right. I mean, again, he's just such a horrible first-class hustler. And, of course, he does that. I mean, he, he takes financial advantage of these trials and everything else. Um, but, again, uh, we just have to remind people, even for those who don't want to hear it sometimes, just look at what he, what he really – what's really behind him. Okay, well, by the way, and I, and I just <laughs> – Start off on this one. Um, you know, I, I really am upset with so many people in the media and people that I respect uh, trying to, to use this strongman argument. He's a strong man, okay? And of course, they're trying to juxtapose that against somehow Biden's a weak man. Strong men don't hurt people, strong men don't rape women or exploit them or make fun of how they look or whatever. That's weak men that do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and strong men are often not dictators like Putin, okay? They're the cowards that kill people, you know, with a, with a police state type thing. So I just don't like that example because strength is something a lot of people want in a leader. But strength can be compassion. Um, strength can be understanding. Strength can be, you know, anyway, so you get my point, but I, yeah, I cringe and- a little bit. Every time I keep hearing the strong thing because the Trump people are trying to set that up, uh, that describing him. But strength is not what kind of thing he does. You know, making fun of a woman, can't even identify someone who claims that he's never seen her and, and <laughs> confuses her with his wife. It just, you know. But anyway, there's there's a lot of things. I'm not sure what your agenda is today. So, well, you know, I well, go it's going to be all over the map. It's Friday. And and okay. you make a really, really good point, because a, a person who is really strong in themselves doesn't doesn't create um, silly, demeaning nicknames for people. I mean, you know, if you look at his behaviors and I know that um, his followers you know, he could do anything he wanted to and his followers would still be there, um, you know, for him in every way, shape or form. But he isn't. The things that he does, the ways he behaves reflect a weak man, an insecure man, a man who has to be loud and long to make sure that he doesn't get overlooked. That's not strength. I totally agree. And that's um, 
and we just kind of need to keep saying, making that point and so forth. And uh, um, anyway, that's just one of the many things that uh, um, I, I, I get frustrated with because, you know, I love the news. I think the news is so critical. It's so important that we can keep up with stuff. But I have a lot of other concerns relating to that. So, yeah. Um, well, David, if you don't mind, uh, we're going to talk about some things uh, before we wrap up today. We have uh, a lot of local things that I, I want to talk to you about, but we have a ton mm-hmm. of people who are waiting on the phone lines who want to okay. have a conversation with us. Um, so, see, I'm trying to figure out, Paul, where I left off. How about let's go to Brian, who's calling in from Joliet. Brian, are you still there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear ah, me? Yes, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Well, good afternoon and uh, a belated uh, happy birthday to you. Uh, <laughs> when you. was your birthday again? January 25th. Mine was February 10th. But oh. happy birthday. <laughs> uh, well, mine's not till October, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're, you're the young one in the group. <laughs> no, well, I'm not. But okay. Well, on a different uh, topic, uh, I, I'd like to discuss a bit uh, my opposition to the death penalty, and uh, this is something uh, that uh, I spoke with you about uh, in uh, it was early uh, 2021. I uh, uh, find it uh, barbaric, and uh, one uh, uh, reason for that is uh, uh, because uh, <clears throat> uh, if... Uh, the uh, wrong person is executed. There's no way to uh, make uh, that up. And uh, there, are, uh, I'm hearing uh, reports that uh, they're using all kinds of new evil methods to execute people. And um, I know uh, you, as an anchor person, uh, for uh, decades there, uh, uh, heard of uh, situations where uh, uh, they found the wrong person and. Uh, and uh, you agreed with me back then, uh, uh, 2021, that you found it barbaric as well. And uh, I wanted to mention uh, uh, people, uh, have you ever seen the film Compulsion? Mm. Uh, it's, that's an old one, isn't it? I don't think, I, if I saw it, I don't remember it. Well, it was around 1960. It starred, the main star uh, was uh, Orson, the great Orson Welles, and he played uh, the uh, great attorney uh, Clarence Darrow. I'm sure you've heard of Clarence Mm. Darrow. And uh, he spent a great deal of his life uh, uh, opposing the death uh, penalty. Uh, You may have uh, heard uh, that uh, he... uh, Represented, uh, got uh, Leopold and Loeb uh, uh, off uh, the uh, from being executed. Uh, it's in the film Compulsion. I highly recommend it. I'm sure you can uh, pick it up somewhere. And uh, uh, your thoughts. And if you could have a guest sometime on this topic, I, I, I think that would be a great thing. Thanks for the guest idea, <clears throat> David. You want to weigh in? Uh, all I'd just say, yeah, I'd, I, I'd certainly uh, agree that we, well, I, I'm against the death penalty anyway. And um, we see many of these, more recently we saw that case where they were using a, a new kind of a, uh, I don't remember, was it gas or a new chemical to, to kill yeah, somebody? I, I think it was, a, well. it was a gas. And the priest yeah. 
who uh, was there said that um, the inmate struggled for several minutes. You know, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, that if you were, you know, if somebody did something terrible to my family, you know, you wouldn't want that person to continue to be able to enjoy life. Not that being, you know, convicted to life in prison is exactly enjoying life. So I, I do have empathy, um, but you're, but he makes a good point. It's difficult for the state to be in the business of killing people when we have had, just in Illinois over the decades, so many instances of, of somebody like somebody from the Innocence Project taking on a case and discovering that, you know, part of the reason why the person's on death row was eyewitness testimony, and the eyewitness later says, ah, you know, I was pressured, I, I really didn't see what I claimed I saw, and, you know, if we could be sure we were a hundred percent right all of the time, it might be something that we could really debate. But we make mistakes all the time on this. And, you know, how many innocent people I get the question becomes and I've heard people who are in favor of the death penalty talk this way. You you have to say how many innocent people are you willing to execute to make sure that you execute one guilty person? And you have to think about that. You have to come up with that number and you have to be OK with it. Um, and I that's a that, it's not something that makes me feel comfortable. Now, having said that, could I if I were on a jury and the death penalty were on the table, could I consider it? I think I absolutely could. So I don't know. Maybe I'm a hypocrite, David. I don't think so. I think you're being thoughtful. Um, Again, just it's not confused. Of this is easy. No, uh, it just... the, uh, uh, if I might weigh in here, uh, <clears throat> back in uh, 1989, uh, best of my recollection, uh, it was uh, there was a, a situation. I believe it was uh, the Central Park Six. And uh, Trump, uh, I understand, put out a full-page ad uh, calling for their uh, execution. And then uh, DNA evidence, uh, which you said, Joan, is uh, very uh, convincing, uh, exonerated uh, these uh, uh, mm -hmm. men. Mm -hmm. well, so that's another uh, yeah. Brian, against, uh, the thank, we've got there. a lot of people who are waiting to join our conversation. Uh, thank you for the call, and thank you for um, sharing your viewpoint with us. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Our good friend Paul is calling in from Seattle, Washington. Paul, you're on with me and David Orr. Paul? Paul from Seattle? Paul Shavari? Is Paul from Seattle still there? Paul? Did you put the phone down and go to the bathroom or something, Paul? Okay. <laughs> shame, All right. shame. Yeah, really. Okay, um, Paul Shavari, let's go back to the phone lines. Let's talk to Ron from Michigan. Oh, Paul? Okay, fine. All right. Paul from Seattle is on the line. <laughs> okay. Um, justice in America means that a black woman will have to stand in court to account for her alleged love interest before a big orange bag of hot wind who is a proven rapist, slander, and fraud, and who has already been ordered to pay almost a half a billion dollars to account for those matters, 
before he will have to stand in court on 91 criminal counts, first, we have to hear about a black woman's possible romantic involvement. Um, I don't know about you, but when the media puts these things on par as moral equivalents, I think this is a nation that's got some confusion, uh, some real confusion about priorities and values. I really do. And you hear that you hear the right wing, because I do listen to the right wing, saying that no one, no one was a victim. No one was damaged in this, 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 the Trump damage. He's being ordered to pay $350 you know, million. No, there were no victims. Well, <laughs> sorry. But, yeah, but there are victims when Fonnie Willis, you know, may be involved with someone. Those are victims. In fact, and the guy who she's prosecuting, he could be it. Oh my goodness! Yeah. He could be. He could be the victim. I'm sorry, but there are victims when you falsify records. The, the people, we the people, are the victims, and it's kind of like it has, uh, to use a phrase from one Supreme Court, it has an aggregate effect. If that means that if everybody did that, mm-hmm. we wouldn't have any regulations. And I guess that's what they think is okay. I mean, if everybody just said, oh, I'll just turn in whatever, whatever records I want, that I want, uh-huh. uh, that, that means that it doesn't, who's the victim? It doesn't matter. This, this, is, this whole thing, the way, Donald, the way Donald Trump has put the Trump era has the media, I guess it's the media, has, has brainwashed the public to thinking that all of this is on par as equivalents. Yeah, is is astonishing to me that uh, I don't know how we ever go back. This is, this is the party of family values and morality. Right? Sure, sure it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how we ever go back to you know some normality of what you know what we what we think of as well, not just American values. These are basic human values of yeah. decency, honesty, and justice. When all of these things are mixed up, as oh, this, all, this is kind of the alternative fact. Everything has become uh, a matter of opinion, uh, and, well, and the courts call change. Literally Go ahead, falling over. Hang on a second, Paul. Uh, what did guy. you want to say, David? Well, I was just saying uh, to Paul. I mean, this could change. In other words, it doesn't have to be who we are. We're labeled this way. Um, some of these things are because a certain individual, which we're talking about, Mr. Trump. The point is, he will do anything. Okay, he will harm anyone in any way possible in his mind as as a defense against these various indictments. Um, yeah. Now, again, we're not. We don't have a lot of presidents. We don't have. We've got bad elected officials, but not that many. This is taking place because of his M.O., the kind of person he is, the reason he he will attack anyone if they just criticize him on the radio or criticize him someplace. Uh, So, again, I don't want us to give up on our values. We can feel bad for Ms. Willis. Um, But the bottom line is, again, we can move beyond this. I'm not sure if we will, but I think. (laughs) Well, you know, I was talking, David. Um, to Pat Brady, who, as you know, was once the head of the Republican Party in Illinois. Mm -hmm. And he was saying to me, what we have now isn't uh, the Republican Party. What we have now is completely and entirely the party of Trump. 
whatever platforms exist, exist because they are Trump's wants, needs and wishes. He said, um, remember when the Republican Party used to be about small government, get government out of our lives. Remember when the Republican Party used to be anti-communist. We got to go after those commies. You know, we got a, they're a threat to our way of life. And now we have a government that is thrilled with the fact that they can be in the doctor's office and tell women what to do. We have a government that is tempting um, voters to um, withdraw gay marriage because, you know, there's another thing we should we should regulate and monitor people's personal lives and the government should intervene. And then we've got Donald Trump. So suddenly aid for Ukraine and praise for Putin is the order of the day. Pat Brady said there is no longer a Republican Party. There is only the party of Trump. And what worries me, David, is I've heard some Republicans say that MAGA has taken on a life of its own. Um, and even if Donald Trump were to disappear tomorrow, the ship would be a long time writing itself because it is more than Donald Trump at this at this moment in time. He's let He's let the genie out of the bottle and um, that there may never be a Republican Party like the one you and I grew up with, David. Well, I, I agree well, with that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just wanted to ask, but Joan and, and David, there was a time when the news media and I'm thinking it, Sam Donaldson would say, but with all due respect, Mr. President, uh, bull roar. I mean, he would say something like that. We don't have a news media. We have a news media that's willing mm-hmm. to put yep. things on par. I, there, there was a time when we had some people like Helen Thomas in the White House who would say, yep. excuse me. I mean, we don't have that now. The only person that I've seen recently um, of that ilk was uh, Mehdi Hassan. And, you know, I'm not saying I agreed with everything that Mehdi Hassan, who used to be on MSNBC, I'm not uh, saying that I agreed with everything that he said, but that man was the Sam Donaldson of this generation. If you sat down for an interview with him and you said something that wasn't true or was an exaggeration, he would call you on it. He would say, that's not true. That's an exaggeration. Why are you saying that? And he wouldn't let people duck. He wouldn't let people dodge. He um, he held people's feet to the fire in a way that he it was so rare. He stood out for doing it because you're right. Where are the Sam Donaldson's of of today? Where where are they? Um um, we we've got to we've got to move on, Paul. Uh, I've got a number of other callers and a bunch of other stuff uh, that I want to talk to uh, David about. I think we have time to start this, uh, David. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with um, an exchange that took place. There was a big meeting, and we're shifting. Excuse me, folks. I'm shifting back to uh, local uh, here. There was a big meeting, uh, state officials, city officials, um, some representatives from the federal government, and they were all talking about the migrant situation and who was going to do what and who had um, money to contribute. And the state was going to contribute um, over $100 million. The city was going to contribute $70 million. And 
um, and this whole we were going to just tackle this whole migrant situation. And recently, um, Brandon Johnson, since apparently that meeting took place, has neither said nor done anything to actually commit or procure that $70 million for the migrant situation. And um, there, he did talk to the media after the city council meeting this week and had a um, <clears throat> rather heated exchange <clears throat> with NBC5 political reporter Marianne Ahern. Listen to this. This is a very comprehensive approach, so this is not about my commitment. If anybody questions my... I'll say it like this. I don't believe anybody in Chicago is is questioning my commitment to this mission. Well, they are because you didn't put in the 70 million that you promised you would give them at that meeting and then walked away from it. Were you at that meeting? So, so you're making an assertion that I made a promise. Were you at that meeting? So $150 million in my budget, $51 million from the first vote that I oversaw when I became mayor. Another $95 million to make sure we close out this last fiscal year. So whatever conclusion you're coming to, maybe I shouldn't speak to whatever conclusion you're coming to. All I'm saying is, is that no one in this city, let's make it broader, no one in the state of Illinois in this country is questioning Mayor Brandon Johnson's commitment to this mission. No one is. 28 shelters. 5,700 children that we're educating three times before the city council to get the resources that were needed to make sure that we are fulfilling this mission. Health screens, collaborating with mayors around the, the, the region and the country, passing an ordinance that other states are now modeling so that we can bring some structure uh, to this operation. So I'm committed to this mission as I've been. And I'm grateful that we have partners at the state level and at the, at the county level who are also committed to this mission. And it's a mission of care um, as well as um, a mission that requires a real holistic response to, to this crisis. And I'm grateful that we have two leaders at the state and the county level that are committed to it as well. David Orr, when you hear that, what do you think? Well, I don't know, of course, the facts behind all of it, but what I think um, with Brandon being um, a new mayor that we all would hope will do well, but inexperienced, I would say, Brandon, um, you can spend all the time talking about your commitment and how you believe everybody believes that commitment. But in a press conference like this, if you don't answer the basic question or shed some light on it, all people are going to think about is not what you just said, all the things that you're doing. They're going to think about, well, what about the 70 million? So at some point, you can browbeat uh, reporters. Uh, I'm talking about the good things you do, and I'm not trying to take away from the good things he's done. Uh, so I guess what I'm saying is that's not the way to get out of a press conference. If if there wasn't a $70 million commitment made, you should say it. If there was a $70 million uh, commitment made that, that things have changed, you should address that somehow. But you can't, by ignoring the question and then just talking about all the good things you've done, it doesn't work. I agree, but I see our mayor, who admittedly is a new mayor, he was a Cook County commissioner, but in no way, shape, or form is that job like being mayor of the city of Chicago. This is what he does all the time. Um, rather than saying, were you in that meeting? 
I agree with you. He could have said that was not a commitment that I made. If you heard that, you got bad information or that was a commitment I made. And either I've rethought it or I'm in the process of making it happen. I mean, there are so many different ways you could go with that rather than the then you do you, basically what he's saying to Marianne Ahern. If you weren't in that meeting, you don't know what you're talking about. And how dare yeah, you? I, how mm-hmm. dare you ask me that? How dare you question me? Well, Mayor, yeah, I'm sorry, but that's her job. And if you think it's bad now, <laughs> you, you know, uh, you get a couple of contentious press conferences like that. And I'm telling you, the media stops worrying about being polite at a certain point. And it only gets worse. And it is not a contest a political official can win. Uh, I agree. And I think it, it raises questions about about the preparation. OK, um, one of my big concerns so far, um, although I certainly support some of the steps, you know, there's there's a lot of concern, I think, for basic average people that I that I like. You know, whether it's a minimum wage, uh, sick, sick time, all, all sorts of things. But uh, I do worry about the people in important positions of power that really don't cut it. The, the, the person in charge of the migrant program, the problems we've had with with Alderman Carlos. Uh, you know, Carlos, who, you know, has his skill, has his commitment to a lot of left causes, um, but was really messing up as both zoning chair and floor leader. Um, so the real question here is, how are you being prepared? How, what, what what good, if you if you were there, Joan, what, what good people would let you walk into a meeting and, and think you can just get away with them not answering it? And, and again, I think repeating th- good things if you've done um, – well, you should you should always um, herald those things. You've got to be careful because it looks like you're just avoiding the basic question. And well, that's because said, that's exactly what he was doing. That's exactly right, what he was doing. Right. And I agree yeah. with you. You touched on something interesting. You talked about um, preparedness. The mayor needs someone to, you know, have a. Have uh, hit him here. You know, Mayor, you're going to be this is what's going to happen at the city council meeting. I know you're going to talk to the press. Here are the things that you're liable to get hit. So let me ask them to you now and let's work through how you're going to answer these questions. Um, And I don't think there's anybody on his staff. Maybe there's somebody giving him that advice and he's just not listening to it. Or maybe there's nobody on his staff that can say that to him or that can prep him that way. I mean, and it's not, you know, not everybody can talk about everything off the cuff. I don't care how glib you are. I don't care how great a speaker you are. Everybody needs to think about these things and work out what they want to say. And and yeah. um, and he is not doing himself any favors by not doing not not doing that sort of thing ahead of time. I am now practically talking up to the Associated Press News. I apologize to everyone. We're going to take a break for the news. David Orr and I will be right back. We're going to talk local politics. We are going to talk national politics when we come right back after this. Jonas Trevino's live global and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Pazito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. It is Friday and I am joined by David Orr from Good Government, Illinois. We have been talking about the news of the day and taking your calls. And before I go back to the phone lines, uh, somebody on social media shared with me a uh, 
a portion of the Engeron ruling, Judge Engeron, who has ruled that Donald Trump cannot um, do business in New York for three years and needs to pay $350 million. Um, at the, um, he talks in one portion of his decision about how Trump and his boys refused to admit error. And he writes, the English poet Alexander Pope first declared, to err is human, to forgive is divine. Defendants, apparently, are of a different mind. After some four years of investigation and litigation, the only error, inadvertent of course, that they acknowledge is the tripling of the size of the Trump Tower penthouse, which cannot be gainsaid. Their complete lack of contrition and remorse borders on pathological. They are accused only of inflating asset values to make more money. The documents prove this over and over again. This is a venial sin, not a mortal sin. Defendants did not commit murder or arson. They did not rob a bank at gunpoint. Donald Trump is not Bernard Madoff. Yet... Defendants are incapable of admitting the error of their ways. Instead, they adopt a see-no-evil, hear-no-evil, speak-no-evil posture that the evidence belies. You don't often uh, see uh, a judge quoting Alexander Pope in their decision, David, but I'm, uh, it was very aptly used, that quote. Yeah, it does, because it seems, you know, for those with, you know, follow these things and follow Mr. Trump, uh, incapable of admitting error, Mm -hmm. no matter what happens, no matter what he does, no matter who he insults, making fun of Republican Senator John McCain, who passed away because he was injured while he was fighting for us in Vietnam. Um, You know, it it just it, it capsulizes, I think, who he is in too many sad ways, you know, incapable of admitting an error. Um, anyway, one, one thing, if I could just jump back quickly, Joan. Sure. Um, you know, we're talking about preparing the mayor. Um, I don't have any doubt to prepare him, and I'm sure they, they do their best. I just think um, my, my, my issues go back to, do they have the right people doing it? Because this is something that, you know, it's not just this specific question. It's hard to predict it'll come up, but it's it's the things we talked about. You don't want to get into this kind of a battle. You don't want to have to defend yourself by saying how good you are and then implying that the press is full of it. And it's not going to help you in the long run. Uh, so, you know, I mean, other things that I hear, and I, I I'm certainly hope there's some good things going on, too. But even in the battle on the ceasefire issue, um, you know, I think one of the most important offices is intergovernmental relations. Okay, that's the office uh, controlled by the mayor's office that works with the aldermen uh, on basically, you know, either fighting with them or trying to get convinced them one way or the other. Mayor Daley used to have some really tough people. I'm not just looking for people that are just that kind of rough and tough, but you really need people that are thoughtful and so forth. And and at this last vote, I know of a. Uh, well, some aldermen were forced off the floor, if you remember. Some had to leave. If you're talking about the, the resolution on Gaza vote or which vote? Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. the, the ceasefire vote, yeah. Um, all I'm saying is that, see, here's a case. We've got somebody in the office, but I, uh, unfortunately, I don't know the person. I just think there's some serious issues because, for example, what I hear is that they didn't even know who, how some people are going to vote. 
You can't let that go till that election day and not know that stuff. Now, maybe they wanted the mayor to have to do the tie vote. I don't think it was in his interest. But the point is, when, when you're top people, people getting, you know, very large salaries running a department with staff that are supposed to know this stuff and you don't know it, something's really wrong. And I think part of it is part of this little notion is kind of a, you know, and then there's good people and there's less, less good people. But when you've got kind of a, how can I say it, it's more of a sect, um, a smaller group of people that see, you know, a certain notion of what left-wing politics is all about. But they need to understand that there's different people and different ideas, and you need to bring those people together. And that's what I still see as lacking. I see it in, in the response that we're talking about on the, on the news conference, and I see just an example there with, with the people in charge not knowing how people are going to vote. All of them are not hiding their votes, but they didn't know that, and that's their job. So I think the mayor is getting some um, you know, not good advice from some of the people that he's picked. Uh, yet it's, he's, it's, a, it's he and his top staff are picking these people. So, you know, my advice would be think carefully to try and find some people that have a more wide acceptance than just an inner core of maybe six or seven people. Yeah, I'm reminded of... Um what Jeanette Taylor said when she was on mm-hmm. Ben Jarofsky's podcast, she was like, you know what? Um, you know, we've always been great at, you know, um, saying, you know, what we hope and pray and, and throwing stones at what's been happening. But we, and she, meaning the progressives, she said, we were not ready to govern. We're used to sort of being, essentially I'm paraphrasing here, but what I took her remarks to mean is we are so used to being on the outside looking in and criticizing and, um, but, but when we were given the reins of power, we weren't ready. And she basically said, we don't, we've discovered we don't really know how to do this. We don't know how exactly. to govern. And it, it seems That's that, mm-hmm. um, that she was um that she was absolutely speaking speaking the truth and you know um i had a conversation with a uh a former um column writer and we were we were talking about this and what we are what you and i are talking about david right now with respect to the mayor that you know even if he didn't see this particular question coming there were so many ways he could have handled it better. He basically did not address the issue that the question was about. He obfuscated. And I don't know whether it's like what Jeanette said, you know, progressives are so used to being like the little match girl who's looking through the window at all the people, you know, having a great dinner and she's starving to death outside. Um, but I have found when I speak to progressives... And I try to, you know, I mean, you know who we are. I try to get them on the air. You know, it's it's great when they're telling you about this policy that they're behind or this ordinance or this law that they're suggesting. But if you give them any kind of pushback, like, well, that sounds good, but, you know, where specifically is the money going to go? Or that sounds good, but... Um, here's a here's a potential problem that people have pointed out with this. When I do that kind of pushback, they seem to fall apart. Um, they don't seem to have any answers. Like like 
that they just expect everyone to swallow the greatness of their ideas whole. And I have found that when they when they are asked something like Marianne Ahern, well, you know, maybe they're not happy with you. Where's that 70 million bucks that they they their next line of reply, their line of defense is to give you platitudes you know, well, you know, we really want to help people. We want to make the world a better place. And, you know, and, and all kinds of stuff that isn't untrue, but isn't really pertinent to the discussion at hand. And it isn't just, I'm not going to name names because it isn't just one person. This is something that, that I've had happen to me over and over and over again. And honestly, I'm very puzzled by it because just because you have a great idea and a great ordinance doesn't mean it's perfect and doesn't mean you're not going to get criticism. And trust me, the criticism you're going to get from me isn't anywhere near what you're going to get from the people who oppose this. And you've got to you've got to be thoughtful and you've got to be honest. Say to me, well, you know, Joan, that's really interesting. That's not a point that really has come up in our discussions, but perhaps it should have. And I promise you that the next time we talk about this, we will think about that. Anything that's honest. But, you know, instead, the fallback position with our mayor and with many of our elected progressive officials, and I see this sometimes even at the national level, it's like, well, you know, we want to make the world a better place and and this is good and people need help. Yeah, yeah, we all get that. We all know that. That's not that's not what we're talking about here. I don't know, David, maybe my experience is unique and you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, no, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I want to make one amendment. Okay. okay. Um, I understand. But remember, you're using the word progressive, which is a very loaded word. Okay. And so I think um, you got to remember there's people, you know, there's lots of people who are progressive that are very good at at not doing what you're saying, okay? There's other than us. It's not just a progressive thing, and I would even challenge the notion of how many people supporting the mayor are that progressive, okay? Progressive has become uh, a word that is used by those who thinks it helped them, and, and in places like Chicago and Cook County, it generally does. But uh, that's all I'm saying is it be very Do you think it's more a question rather than, um, rather than progressive? Maybe I should just... Um, maybe it's a lack of experience being in political life, a lack of experience being in a position to um, to affect just, change. Do you think people. that's that's more accurate? Well, it, it, not, all those are labels, okay? Um, and it could it could come from lack of experience. Certainly, some of the people who identify themselves as progressives in the new administration that might be partly. I'm just saying I need to be careful about it because it's. It's it's um, not a label that fits many progressives. A label that fits some people who call themselves progressive. So that that's all. Uh, I can't tell you why certain people do it. Um, I guess the reason you know. that I said that is because I talk to much sometimes to the consternation of my audience. I talk to <laughs> some people who are certainly um, on the more conservative side of being a Democrat, and I just. I don't know. I have found um, I have found them to just be more down to earth. And, you know, I'll say, well, what about this? And they'll and they'll be like, well, you know what? Um, 
didn't agree with that and here's why. Or, you know, I just want to have the honest conversation. And I generally find that Democrats who are considered more middle of the road or, God forbid, more conservative um, don't give me the party line when I when I push back or when I ask them a question. I don't no. just get the party line. I get an actual, thoughtful, reasoned response. But progressives don't have a party line in general. So if you're talking about certain progressives with this, this particular administration right now, that's different, okay? Um, I'm just saying that I don't identify with anything you're saying for me personally, Okay. Would you call yourself um, a progressive, think, David? Absolutely. And how do you define that? When you say that about yourself, what do you want me to take away from that? I would want prog- progressive means, at least to me, someone who believes that certain kinds of social political changes are crucially necessary. Okay, so they have to be kind of generally fighting on the side of change, particularly to- toward basic needs of Americans, which means particularly economic, you know, so all sorts of things, a so minimum wage, uh, sick pay, sick pay, so forth. Uh, you could, you were talking about the death penalty before, um, all sorts of issues relating to prisons. You know, we shouldn't, uh, you know, they're passing laws now to try and have less uh, dogs in prisons because they're biting too many prisoners or have, um, you know, we, we've make it so difficult for prisoners to call home. Um, remember, not all prisoners, not all necessarily really bad people. And they're going to be coming out. The vast majority of them are going to be coming out. So we want them to come out ideally with a head start. So if you're charging unnecessary rates or making them pay a lot of money just to talk to their family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I could go on and on. But, but isn't basically, that just a, a democratic? I, see, I get real no, confused not with that at all. You know, because I, no. I remember shortly after I started this show, which was over five years ago now, somebody said to me, they texted me and they said, well, you know, you're not really a progressive. You're a liberal. And I've always been puzzled about labels since then. And I'm not I'm not I'm OK with yeah. being called a liberal. I don't think that that's an that's an insult. But a lot of what you're talking about, I consider just democratic ideas um, as opposed yeah, yeah. to progressive but ideas. But we have to be careful with our labels, because many of the things I've talked about, the Democrats have fought. Like, give me an example uh, so I know what our what our discussion is about. Um, minimum wage. I mean, remember, Democrats are, um, you know, in our government, the way it works, we have mostly Republican Democrats, a few independents here and there. OK, so we have many Democrats who don't support what you and I are considering our liberal and or progressive issues uh, or they fudge on it. Um, you know, they many of them. I mean, you know, it's in our in our present Congress. It's, it's things are a little different because they're, I would say, the progressive wing of the party and the moderate wing of the party and the more conservative. They're all working together better than normal because they see that what they see is an existential threat. Mm-hmm. Not always. OK, but better. OK. Um, but I think that the key here is 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 when you have so many Democrats, it, is, it varies so much from place to place. Uh, remember, remember the, the whole city council was all Democrat except one potential Republican. Now, there's a lot of those people that I don't consider progressive at all. Or, or some of my differences would be with some of the, some of the people that were coming out of CTU. Okay, like this is just my personal thing. Okay, I find when I talk about looking for a serious social change. Okay, I was one of those people who thought Joe Berrios has to go. 
America is a really bad public official who was doing Mike Madigan's bidding all those years in the board review and then in the assessor's office. I could go through all the incredible things that he did. But the point is, had to go. And then I found a lot of people who consider them far left actually defending burials. Okay, and then I realized some people would be far left or call themselves progressive. Some of those people, they're looking for the same things that Edward Doliak and Ed Burke were looking for. I want jobs for my relatives. Do you think that's because Chicago is uh, such a Democratic town that even if you um, exist with the beating heart of a Republican, you've got to call yourself a Democrat? Do you think that that's what's going on and that's why we have this disparity? Well, you have disparity in a lot of places, but that's part of it because of Chicago's nature. And, um, and but it's also because, um, you remember, and you had the old machine. So you had the Madigans of the world that actually helped support some very good things with minimum wage. They certainly helped me pass all these laws to make uh, voting easier, you know, early voting and motor voter and all sorts of things. But at the same time, they had a... I'm pointing the difference between you can be somewhat liberal or progressive on certain issues, but you're very, what's the word, very conservative, almost reactionary when it comes to political power. Okay, and what I'm saying is, to me, being progressive, liberal, whatever you're going to say, there's a consistency. You can't just say I support an issue. You've got to also support the politics that allow it to be a decent kind of politics. Okay, so what I'm saying, just using myself as an example, is I found those arguments of people who consider themselves significant left when they were defending burials. Of I found that quote unacceptable. Okay, and I've seen that a number of times before. So some very conservative right wing um, labor people, and I'm a supporter of labor, but in, in conjunction with some more conservative Democratic parts, for example, go back and pick on Fritz Kagan again. You know, they tried to defeat him and his run for reelection. Um, you know, I, I see what I'm saying. There's a if you're inconsistent there, then you're really only focusing on power. And um, and what I'm looking for in people and the people that I want to support or see in office and so forth is a consistency. Okay, so if you're progressive minded, you should keep that in mind. You shouldn't be trying to get jobs from Joe Barrios. If you follow my argument here. Uh, I, anyway, I do. So all, I do follow is, is, is that these labels are far too broad, um, and they, they don't fit too well. There's lots of Democrats. They have some very different positions, and more complicated in Chicago because we have the machine stuff. We have a lot of people call themselves Democrats, just like you said, but in many ways they're very. They don't support ethics legislation. They're the ones that spoke up in the newspaper article after Burke was convicted. Oh, such a nice man. He did so much good for everybody. And I'm thinking, what in the world are they smoking? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think progressive is one of those words that has been so overused that it Mm -hmm. has it has lost some of its original meaning. And, you know, I think some people label themselves whatever, whether they're labeling themselves a moderate or a Democrat or a progressive. Sometimes I think that those labels have less less to do about what the person thinks and stands for and more about how that label is going to give them a certain edge going forward with something that they want to accomplish. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, for example, 
it was much less fashionable to be, quote, progressive a while back um, in, in Chicago areas now and even parts of, you know, Cook County or, or, you know, so when you take an issue like reproductive rights, okay, which is seeming, you know, make, certainly going to give the Democrats a better chance in many suburban areas than before, um, you know, is that progressive? But you're right. The, po- the point is, is people use it in certain areas if they think it's going to help them and people attack it. Uh, if you're in Alabama, if you think it's going to help you, if you're railing against, quote, progressives. So all I'm saying is, is there's a lot of variance there, um, a lot of variance among the city council people, a lot of variance among even Brandon Johnson supporters, for example, uh, as well as if you've done analysis of all 50 aldermen, you'd find a lot of varying views that do not fit easily in any one of these words. Mm-hmm. I, that that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that in, there's one part of me that really feels sorry for Brandon Johnson, because I think a lot of people who call themselves progressive expect him to fall into line with with all kinds of ideas. And I think they're going to find that, you know, he's in a position of power now. He's in a position where there's all kinds of different interests coming to him and people wanting him to do different things. And I think, sadly, he cannot help but disappoint the the people who expect him, well, he's a progressive, I'm a progressive, therefore I can tell you exactly how he is going to feel and what he is going to do on each and every one of these issues. And I I think that in a position where you are the mayor, however you started life, you are going to find that you need to consider all voices and consider some compromises that maybe uh, you otherwise would not have and um, and let's face it, in a position like that, you just you got to wrap your head around the fact that you are not going to make everybody happy, and you have to be okay with that. And and but, I but think again, that's I, what I, Brandon I, Johnson is kind of learning right now. Uh, David, we need well, to take a break. Uh, Good Government oh, Illinois' sure, go David Orr and I are going to be right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT eight twenty. It is Friday, and David Orr from Good Government Illinois has joined me in taking your calls and listening to what you want to talk about today. Let's go back to the phone lines. Ron is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Ron, you're on with me and David Orr. Go ahead. Yes, uh, my birthday is January 6th, and that day has been ruined forever. <laughs> oh, God. Yes, it has, yes. And uh, Mayor Johnson should be thankful that there hasn't been any uh, mild winter, no snowstorms. No, no uh, that's, how, that's how Mayor Jane Byrne became mayor. <laughs> yeah, and how Michael Blandick <laughs> got shown the door. Right, how he became a judge. And uh, Bonnie Willis, uh, and uh, she's being harassed by Trump and her his lawyers. And uh, he, uh, Trump is trying to send a message that uh, anyone who uh, tries to uh, prosecute him, will, he'll, he'll make his, his, her, their life uh, miserable. You know, if he, especially if you're a minority or a woman, just like a mob boss would. Well, he, um, you know, he, that's, you know, anytime somebody's on trial, 
if they're going to uh, use every advantage. And um, I think this is making a mountain out of a molehill. And I think Fonnie Willis is going to get through this accusation that somehow uh, she has to recuse herself because she had a brief personal relationship with one of the prosecutors in the case. Um, I, I think she's going to get through this. But, you know, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think Donald Trump has always functioned as a mob boss. I think he acted like a mob boss in when he was president. That's why he was trying to uh, get the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, to come out and say, he, just, he, said, he said on this call, you don't even really have to investigate Joe Biden. Just say that you're going to investigate Joe Biden or just say that there is and just say it. You don't have to do anything. Just say it. And then, oh, yeah, this all this aid we've promised you, it'll come through any time after that. I mean, come on. That's I, I, I agree with you, um, Ron. That's exactly how he's always functioned. Yeah, just a little bit. And uh, one more thing. Uh, in the first uh, 45 days this year, there's been there have been 48 mass shootings and uh some of the parents that were uh, had children in the uh, Parkland High School shooting, they went to uh, see uh, Lauren Bovert, and uh, she slammed the door in the faces. That's uh, that's that's how they that's how they care about uh, you know gun yeah. control. <clears throat> yeah, that is um that is not an issue that Republicans are willing to take on, which is why whenever there's a mass shooting. You know, they always want to talk about thoughts and prayers. They want to talk about mental health. They, you know, they want to talk about anything but reinstating uh, an assault weapons yeah, ban yeah. or requesting background checks. And, yeah, no, uh, yeah, now is not the time. We have to heal first. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. Yeah, Ron. Uh, thank you so much for the call. You know, David, um, I was talking to Al Franken uh, uh, earlier this week, and we, we talked about this this very issue and, you know, uh-huh. he, he said that, you know, from his time in the Senate, he understands their reluctance, but he doesn't understand why they can't even put any measures in place. You know, background checks. Let's, let's strengthen the background checks that are required before somebody buys at least a weapon of mass destruction. And, you know, poll after poll after poll says people want this. And yet, it just doesn't seem to ever be uh, something that can be supported if you are a Republican. I mean, I don't think we have quite that uh, extremism in Illinois, but we certainly see it on Capitol Hill. What do you think would it would require to break that logjam? A defeat for Trump, for one. And I'm not being facetious here. I'm saying what's happened and accelerated dramatically under Trump is this notion of it's, it's, it's kind of a clever way of party discipline. You could almost say Mike Maddox would probably appreciate it. But what I mean by that is is um, what Republicans or all politicians are concerned about is they have a good reelection path. OK, so it doesn't matter. When it comes to background checks, that, that a majority of the American people support that. That's a sad thing. Uh, many of the programs Republicans are against today, the majority of Americans support. But what they're concerned about is being primaried. Okay, and you can be primary just by Mr. Trump making a simple statement. And then it's really tricky because in a primary, you've got a smaller number of voters. 
that are participating and having much more enormous power coming from the president and other, let's say, kind of right wing folks who believe like he does. Okay, so uh, I think for a lot of these people, honestly, they tell you they, you know, they're not against so much of the stuff. They'd be very careful about saying it. It just comes down to a simply question of power. They're too afraid, just like for decades. Again, like I say, there's Democrats in Illinois under the old machine. A lot of more more decent people, but they would not step up and support any kind of quote ethics or might just say certain issues of more fairness because they were afraid of the same thing. Um, Mike Madigan and his band of people or, you know, here here in Chicago and the party and so forth, they will find someone to come after you and they will have more money than you do. And they will have machine volunteers, you know, sometimes working on government time. Um, they will have all that. So I, I think, again, understanding politics is so critical. I think a lot of these things and often it's not what the individual says. It's what the really the political interest is, and that that's something that the media should be trying to work on whenever possible. There's a fundamental difference, again, sometimes between what someone says. Okay, I mean, let's take back to Trump for a second. Do you really believe that Trump has an elaborate policy on some of these issues he talks about, like, let's say, Russia and the Cold War and all this kind of stuff? Or knowing Trump, as many of us do, I mean, at least from what we not personally, but um, he's always got an angle. What's in it for him? Okay. And so often I tend to try and figure out, well, what, what's the real interest here? Why was he backing Trump when he first ran for office? And, and the fair question is, and again, I don't want to overdo this. I'm not a conspiratorialist or whatever, but the real question is, what did Trump see? What, what could he get from um, from Putin. Now, we, for a long time, we thought it was, you know, Russian oligarchs that had some pretty damaging sex tapes. We don't know if that was true or not, um, but knowing Trump wouldn't be surprised. And um, But anyway, somehow he built this relationship with Putin. Uh, it could have been that a lot of money flowed in ways that we don't understand. We do know now that Russia had a very serious uh, social media attack, um, you know, getting into people's uh, um, passwords and so forth and taking over, you know, Twitter, et cetera. Um, so I, I'm just saying, when I say understand politics, not all of them are like this, not vicious like I'm discussing at the moment. But it's important to ask ourselves, what what is the political interest here? Uh, because sometimes the statement someone makes seems to have little little reality to what might really be there. I'm sorry to go afield a little bit, but no, a little bit away from this, our questions. That's what this show is for, is going afield, David. That's yeah. what we specialize in. We're wandering a little bit. Huh? <laughs> well, let's wander back to the phone lines. Uh, Jack has All been right. waiting for a long time. He's calling in from Arlington Heights. Uh, Jack, hello. Thanks for waiting so long. Um, uh, you are on with me and David Orr. Go ahead. Yeah, happy birthday, uh, uh, it sounds a little Pollyannish, and I know you have other callers. Uh, how how would, it, it, would it ever be possible they have a universal umbrella democracy constitution that would be comprised of a subset of all and any parts alike? It could be worldwide nation. It could be uh, in a company. If I could hear your comment, it sounds a little Pollyannish, okay? I'm, uh, Jack, can you explain that again a little bit more? I'm not quite sure I understand exactly the question. Can you try, try again with me? 
Oh, okay. Uh, David, uh, I, I, w- I got a little lost with what Jack was uh, was talking about. Did, well, did you? Universal umbrella. I mean, it sounded like the ideal of many people when the United Nations was first set. It sounded like somebody that wants people to kind of get together and, and to the extent, and we might be destroying what you really meant, Jack, but, um, <laughs> you know, just one, one point is if he was talking about when he says international, you know, everyone wanted the UN to be more of a, more of a, organization like that. In reality, yeah. there's so many different demographics and differences in rich nations and poor nations that, frankly, it's done some good things, but not nearly as much as people that dream that it had for it, because the only way uh, that could really work is if it had real power. Um, but many, um, few, um, few of these sovereign nations are going to give up that power. When it comes to local stuff, yes, there are. You know, it was interesting because we we saw the way people worked together, Democrats and Republicans, on the border security issue. You know, they really worked hard and they worked long and they thought they had something which wouldn't please everybody but would please enough people. And again, it did appear like um, they, they, the Democrats and the Democrats go, went further than they normally would want to go because what they felt border security, um, help for Israel, help for Ukraine, et cetera, was all, all worth, you know, kind of working together and everybody giving up some. Uh, but then that all went south um, because of Trump, at least if we can believe all the reports and so forth. And then this little Patsy, Mike Johnson, the uh, you know, the, the new leader of the Republicans in the House, who, uh, by the way, if you, Liz Cheney's book's a good read. It talks about Mike Johnson, and he was definitely in there all over the January 6th thing. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so I see why they kind of picked him, because he just, uh, you know, he'll kind of do whatever he's told. But just the sad thing doesn't matter. But clearly, the Congress would support this if, if he'd let them. Um, so in, anyway, um, we're a long way from... Uh, being that where people will give up enough, you, it has to be where uh, you have enough like-minded people. You know, um, a few decades ago when I was younger, you know, you might have had uh, a U.S. senator like um, Douglas work very closely with a Republican senator named Percy. One was Republican, one was a Democrat. Um, but that time is, is changed now. And as Joan was talking earlier in the show, about how, how do we get that back? You know, and mm-hmm. I said, and maybe it sounded naive to some, but you know, I do think there's a possibility of getting that back if Trump is gone. Um, well, that's a start. A because there's, it's a start. I mean, we, we don't really know, but he was such a powerful uh, f- forcer of this issue. And like I say, even going back to people being afraid of primaries and, and kind of radical right attacks that they felt they couldn't afford then to win in a primary, that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, you, you do get rid of Trump and you get rid of some of the more extremists and things. Not everybody has that ability to, to be that kind of nasty and mean and, uh, and like I say, insult the John McCain's of the world to make fun of someone's body or if they have a deformity of some kind. It's just Normally, um, everybody would say that's horrible. But mm-hmm. um, as you were saying earlier, uh, I, I don't believe it's all Republicans. I think there's a lot more people that are probably more questioning than we realize. But they're not going to step out of line um, among their friends, even more, even, even just as the legislators are not going to step out of line. And frankly, just as many of the Democrats wouldn't step out of line for Mike Madigan here. So uh, so despite the differences in the parties, uh, the politics, the power politics is no, there. No, it was a group of 19 Democrats that did end Mike Madigan's reign as speaker. I mean, they took a stand that um, while uh, certainly they 
could acknowledge his accomplishments, that they felt that um, him continuing in that position was basically something that would hurt Democrats and not help them. So eventually, right. uh, Democrats mm-hmm. did stand up. And I, I don't know, I, I would like to believe that eventually a group of Republicans will stand up, but I just don't, I don't see anybody having that kind of courage. Uh, David, you, we need to take one final break. Uh, before we do go to break, though, I do want to mention that apparently last night uh, Steve McMichael went to the hospital. You know, he has been suffering uh, with uh, ALS for some time now and has been right, right. Uh, very, very ill. He was taken to the hospital last night. He has a urinary tract infection, which when you are debilitated, you know, any infection anywhere in your body can be life-threatening. Right, right. And we are just learning uh, that he has um, been admitted to the intensive care unit and his wife and all of his friends are certainly asking for prayers in this case. He has um, been, he does know that he is going to be admitted to the Hall of Fame. His wife mm-hmm. said that he right. is doing everything in his power to hang on until that uh, ceremony takes place. Um, but just wanted to, I know there are a lot of people who really care about Steve McMichael. So I just wanted to give that little bit of an update before we go to a break. David Orr and I will be right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I am joined by David Orr from Good Government, Illinois. We have been talking about the news of the day and taking calls. I want to take one more call. And uh, then I want to uh, leave some time for David and I to discuss what's going on at the Board of Review. Uh, so Phil is on the line from Brookfield. Hey, Phil, you're on with me. Oh, okay. Oh, well, then never. Uh, Paul Shavari back at the studio said Phil is no longer on the line. So, l- David, let's just go <laughs> to the other topic. Uh, you shared with me that a, a letter that Samantha Steele had written, Samantha Steele um, on the board of review with uh, two other gentlemen, and uh, things have not been going well. Samantha Steele also, uh, David, correct me if I'm wrong, did the most recent podcast with you where she talked very bluntly about this situation. So for those listeners who don't know what I'm talking about, give them some background on this, if you would. Okay, well, as you said, the Board of Review, and it was in the newspaper, I think an article just yesterday in, in the Tribune, it's, it's, it's probably one of the most hidden organizations in, in all of Cook County and Chicago. I would suggest it's probably the worst office, and there's a lot of governmental offices in Chicago and Cook County, but I would suggest it's right up there among the worst. Um, basically, it's three people that are elected from districts in Cook County, three individuals, and they have the, the right to basically, um, people can bring appeals uh, to assessments. Like, let's say they don't like the appeal, the assessment they got from the assessor of Cook County. Well, then they can they can take their appeals to this three-person panel. Um, and again, there's an interesting article in the Trib yesterday that uh, talks about some of the uh, abuses and so forth. But anyway, so Samantha Steele uh, shocked the political world recently by getting elected to this body. It was always controlled generally by three fairly conservative people, or usually machine-controlled, uh, with a very few exceptions. Samantha Steele won. She's been, work- she's been there since uh, 
started December of 22 in terms of a commissioner. And so she decided uh, she'd had enough with um, the two gentlemen um, that she, uh, these are my words, not hers, but bullies, tried to bully her around and, and hurt her in any way they could. Uh, and so she raised a number of issues, including, you know, they, they did a lot of staffing changes uh, that basically hurt her, cost her, in other words, so they weren't being fair about um, each, uh, you know, one third of the board supposed to get a certain amount of staff and so forth. But they took a bunch of her staff and uh, made things very difficult for her. They uh, locked her out, even though she hired a new GAS specialist, they locked her out of the um, computer system because she was investigating some questions and efficiencies in the computer system, um, which she is hoping to improve upon. And I was very upset that they kind of just locked her out. Um, these are this is like old machine stuff. That you, well, how can yeah, that happen? How like the dirty tricks kind of stuff we saw a lot it, of in the exactly. past. Yeah, dirty trick stuff, and and in the next one's perhaps even worse. That um, her people researched and they realized that one of the three commissioners got a lot of overtime, thirty thousand dollars, while the other two only got two hundred dollars. And that third commissioner um, happened to be George Cardenas, the former alderman that was re- elected fairly recently to that board. And George is running someone against a, a really good state rep named Teresa Ma. And all of a sudden, all these people uh, seem to not be doing their work. You look at the computer, you can see what analysts have done stuff. And it seemed to be a real dip in all those people working. And it seemed to go go right hand in hand with her, what's going on with um, a campaign that many of the people in that office are supporting. So I would not be surprised to see the FBI in, in that office before long. Um, and I could go on with other kind of criticism. She also was angry. There's only, of these three people, there's only one of the three that are up for election, the one who's been there the longest since 2004, Larry Rogers Jr., um, is a very powerful, very, very wealthy commissioner. Uh, he he does, unlike Samantha, he takes money from all the attorneys who work before him, not just attorneys, but anyone involved in the property stuff. Um, the IG um, um, from the county has said over and over again, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, and basically, he just ignores them and takes the money. Um, it's one of the things when Chris Kagey became assessor, he stopped doing what Joe Berrios had done. I'm not going to take any, any money from the people that are looking for their assessments to be changed. Um, so the key there is toward the end, um, Rogers was uh, complaining about Fritz Kage, who's the assessor, who had been giving some money to uh, this woman named Larisha Tucker, who's running against Larry Rogers. That's the only, the only uh, ballot up this time is those two. Tucker versus uh, Louisa Tucker versus um, uh, Larry Rogers Jr. Um, and interesting because what, what Rogers had said something uh, that really bothered um, Samantha, who said this toward the end of the podcast. She said, "I am so sick and tired of men telling us whether or not we're qualified. Men telling us whether or not we're doing a good job." And she said, "We don't need men to tell us, you know, whether we're doing a good job or not." But anyway, so yeah, there's some fireworks on there. Um, but um, we'll, we'll see. In other words, it's a, what's important to me about an election like that very quickly is just that, you know, you know, congressmen, it's great, um, but there's a lot of them. State reps, there's great, there's a lot of them. In this case, there's only three commissioners. One of the three is president or reformer. So if, in fact, Lucia Tucker, who is a reformer, um, if she would win in this election, all of a sudden everything changes. 
And the reason I say that, because I've been researching this now for several years, and the problem with the Board of Review, it gives all these big breaks to the Trumps of the world, to the, you know, the real powerful folks downtown. That's why they can raise so much money themselves. But they get breaks in their assessments. And when downtown property, for example, is given a break in their assessment, generally their taxes go way down. So if they pay 30 or $40 million less in taxes, and there's lots of these, what happens? Well, you and me, every other, every homeowner and, and renter's, you know, indirectly end up paying for that. So I'm just saying it's, we don't really have a chance very often to make a really big difference. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so Samantha said, you know, she just got kind of fed up and she was going to bring that forward, which she did. And now I'm anxious to see, I know she's out of the, out of town at the moment, but I'm anxious to see what kind of feedback we're going to have on that. Like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if you see the FBI uh, involved pretty soon there. Wow. Well, it sounds well, I mean, it, it sounds like um, I mean, what has whether or not it's illegal? Certainly, the way she uh, says she's been treated sounds utterly inappropriate. Well, it's uh, the illegal. The illegal part is the misuse. In other words, any time, and particularly, so, you know, uh, you know, Larry Rogers had to had to get rid of somebody a while ago because they were caught doing um, political work on county time. Okay, and so they had to leave the office. But yeah, if you've got a if you've got a scandal, if it's true, okay, they've got a scandal, and lots of people are working their politics during taxpayer time. That is serious. Mm-hmm. And that is something the FBI, you know, normally would get into or, or the inspector general. So, we'll, well, we'll keep an eye on that, David. Thanks for bringing um, her um, conversation with you to my listeners. Uh, and thanks for being here today. It's been it's been fun. We are so out of time. It isn't funny, though. Uh, David Orr, <laughs> Good Government, Illinois. Thank you for being my co-host uh, this afternoon. Uh, Driving at Home with Padre Vasquez is next. It is Friday. I hope you have a great weekend. Absolutely find something to do that brings you joy. Um, I will see you Monday. Of course, Richard Chu starts our day at 6 a.m. I will see you Monday at 2 p.m. Uh, hope you have President's Day off. I'll be here, so listen to me while you're driving around. Have a great weekend. Good night.